Please turn in your New Testaments to John chapter 7, verses 14 through 31, as we continue in our series, The Jesus We Need, not the one we often read about, but the actual Jesus of Nazareth as he is presented in the Gospels, and particularly in John's Gospel. Just to set the stage, uh, there in Jerusalem at this particular week, man, everybody was anticipating the arrival of Jesus of Nazareth. They had all heard about him. They had all heard about the miracles that he was going to do. They had all heard or seen the confrontations with the religious leaders and how that often doesn't spell good health for somebody if they continue to have those confrontations. So everybody was wondering what's going to go down here at the feast if Jesus shows up. It was the feast of booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. Briefly, that's the last feast in the, the, the Feast of Israel. There in the fall, it celebrated the olive harvest. It celebrated the great harvest, very important to Israel. But it commemorated the time of wandering in the wilderness out of Egypt toward Canaan when God's people lived in tabernacles, where God's people lived in tents. And so uh, each family would head, head up, only meaning up like elevation, up to Jerusalem, and they would take their family tent along, and they would, they would go to their spot where their family had had the, had the tents forever. Uh, you know, generation after generation, they'd put up their tents, and they would stay an entire week and celebrate in the temple and celebrate with God's people this harvest in commemoration of His faithfulness. Kind of like uh, maybe being in the grove or the junction with your tent where, you, where you've always been for an entire week for a religious purpose. Now, some people say that the grove and the junction, this tailgating area for college football is for a religious purpose. I will allow you to decide. But anyway, people were really anticipating the arrival of Jesus of Nazareth and the religious leaders weren't just anticipating, they were waiting for him to to ambush him and arrest him upon his arrival. And his brothers early in John chapter 7 say, you need to go because how's this thing going to really go public if you don't go down to the capital city or up in elevation to the the capital city? I mean, this isn't going to be a great public ministry unless you go to where the people are. And Jesus says, you know what? You go ahead and go. I'm going to sit this one out. And so his brothers and the twelve and and others who followed him left, and they went down to the Feast of Tabernacles. And then a few days later, Jesus secretly made his way down and suddenly appeared at the feast. And that is where we find ourselves in this particular passage of Scripture. It is John 7 beginning with verse 14. About the middle of the feast, we read, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? And Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but it is his who sent me. 
If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent me is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Jesus went on to say, Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? He asked. The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? And Jesus answered them, I did one miracle here, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the patriarchs. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath day. And if on the Sabbath a a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses is not broken, you are angry with me because on the Sabbath day I made a whole man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people in Jerusalem therefore said, Is this not the man whom they seek to kill? And there he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from. But I have not come on my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. And so they were seeking to arrest him. But no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. And yet, many of the people believed in him. And they said, when the Christ appears, will he do more miracles than this man has done? I think a very interesting question to ask is this question. If I were alive... In Jerusalem, when Jesus Christ broke onto the scene, would I have believed in him? Would I have been one of the ones who believed in him? Especially since the religious leaders talked him down in front of the people that followed those leaders. Especially since the religious leaders wanted to snuff out his life. Would I have believed in him? They were calling him names. He's a Sabbath breaker, and he's a bumpkin. He's from the hill country. He's from way out there, way up there, far from the sophistication, urban sophistication of Jerusalem. You see, Jesus was in many ways just beyond the box, just beyond the box of what their expectations were as to what the Messiah would look like, and I'd like to look in this passage at two ways Jesus was beyond the box. First is, he was beyond what we might call the box of where he's from. Where he's from. Who is this bumpkin from Galilee? Who's this 
hill country, hillbilly, uneducated person from Galilee who claims to be the Messiah. And uh, as you read the entirety of John chapter 7, what you realize is there's like all these cross currents of thoughts and impressions and things people have said, things different people believe as we hear the crowd talking with one another. Uh, Isn't it true, they ask, that the Bible says that we will not know where the Messiah comes from? That's actually not what the Bible says, but that was one of the prevailing thoughts as Jesus of Nazareth suddenly appeared at that feast and began to teach and was challenged by the religious authorities. We know where this man is from, and he can't be the Messiah because you're not supposed to know where he comes from. Verse 41, I'll just kind of skip beyond our text. Some said, is not the Christ to come from Galilee? Is, Is not the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said, it's not Galilee. It's of the offspring of David from the, the, the city of David called Bethlehem. So there was a division among the people over him. But here Jesus comes down from Galilee to the sophisticates of Jerusalem. Of course, we know he was from Bethlehem. We know that he grew up in Nazareth. We know he was the son of Joseph the carpenter of Nazareth in Galilee. And Matthew 2.23 says about Jesus, quote, He went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. But, but let's not worry about that prophecy today. It's just this, this cross current of, is he the Messiah? Who is this guy? I'm sure none of us would ever judge people simply by where they come from. For them, Jesus was from the wrong place. He's beyond their box. Secondly, he's beyond the box of not only where he was from, but where his teaching was from. This is the issue of the authority of what Jesus says and where he gets the authority to say it. This this is the issue of what we might call his credentials. Jesus did not have an advanced degree from an accredited institution. Yes, he was raised in the Hebrew schools. Yes, the village Hebrew schools. Yes, he was raised under the, the the rabbis in the synagogue. But Jesus didn't go to college. Jesus didn't go to the seminary like Paul did, raised under... Gamaliel, the great teacher, Jesus, none of that. And yet he presumes to teach and correct our PhDs of theology? Yeah. He does. Verse 15, the Jews therefore marvel. How is it that this man has such learning when he has never studied? He's he's never learned the letters, so to speak. So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but it is from him who sent me. William Hendrickson says the implication was that Jesus, because he was not from an accredited institution, was simply uttering his own private opinions about religion, and therefore they should refuse to listen to him immediately. This man's unapproved. But Jesus says, You're forgetting one thing. You assume that I am self-taught. When in fact, 
my father, God, has taught me. And he has not only taught me, he has sent me to relay his teaching to you, to the world. And so when you reject my teaching, you're rejecting the teaching of the one who sent me. I mean, I got it straight from the Father. That might be just a a wee bit superior to your seminaries. I'm sure we would never judge a person by whether they went to to college or not. I'm sure that none of us would ever judge a person by, by whether they went to certain schools and therefore they're okay. Approved? Approved by whom? Now, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, we get this, don't we? We, we can hear our own voices saying these same things if we were there in Jerusalem. Now, the teachers of the law, we learn in Mark's gospel and other gospels, but very clearly in Mark's gospel, the teachers of the law were quite different than Jesus in the way they taught. I'm sure they all preached sermons just about the same as they were trained in their seminaries without a lot of deviation, and they, they were filled with high-sounding rhetoric. And they were filled with, with lots of citations of the great theologians, lots of citations from the rabbinical traditions. We know this for a fact. Jesus was different. He stated the truth. Simply, boldly, and directly. Quoting the scriptures, but not leaning upon rabbinical traditions unless he's using them to correct them. Mark records how the people said he, Jesus, spoke as one with authority. And not as the scribes and Pharisees who didn't speak with authority. And then in our text, he schools them. He takes them to the woodshed about the very issue that he has become known as the the primary violator of a certain law. He just schools them about the Sabbath. And they wanted to kill him first because he healed a man on the Sabbath. And secondly, because he said he was from God, making himself equal to God. These are what the Pharisees said about Jesus. They wanted to kill him because he healed a man right there in Jerusalem earlier by the pool in Bethesda who had been crippled for 38 years. And he healed them on the Sabbath. Jesus says... if. If you want to know what I'm saying is true or not, then why don't you listen and open your heart to see whether you might obey, learn and obey God and glorify God. And the implication is, if you are willing to listen humbly to me, then debate me. Bring your knowledge to what I am saying and see if it can hold up. Don't you just love Jesus? But you are trying to kill me, he says. 
Oh yes, you won't be happy until you have had the murder that is in your hearts right now. You, the leaders, the spiritual leaders of Israel filled with hatred, pride, and murder. People who don't really understand all this say, who's trying to kill you? This guy must have a demon. He's like accusing our religious leaders of trying to to kill him. Jesus answers them, yes, it was about that one miracle that just amazed you so much. I healed a man on the Sabbath. And you want to kill me for breaking the Sabbath laws. You know, it was through the patriarchs, it was through Abraham specifically that circumcision was given by God, but it was more highly regulated by Moses. And what we do was was given to us in large measure by Moses. And what do we do? Circumcision, the mark of the covenant of grace. We take a child, a male child, on the eighth day of his life. And we operate on him. We do surgery on him. And what if the eighth day of a particular child's life happens to fall on the Sabbath? Is it surgery work? Oh no. Oh no. Circumcising and doing surgery, circumcision on the Sabbath. Uh, that, that is not breaking God's law. But I, on the Sabbath, heal a man completely simply by speaking to him. And you say, I have broken the Sabbath? Really? Don't judge by appearances, he says. Judge by right judgment. It reminds me of the many times that Jesus says, Have you not read the Scriptures? They hate it when He tells them that. You see, Jesus taught differently from the Pharisees in some other ways. Jesus, in His teaching, relayed the highest possible view of God. And the highest possible view of the Scriptures. But the Pharisees, not so much. In fact, they added over 300 laws to the Scriptures. And they emphasized human response to God. Everything Jesus did pointed to His Father. Was a reflection, He said, of what his father was saying, what his father was doing. Everything he said, and he says it here, is to bring glory not to himself, but to bring glory to the father. But the Pharisees, they just wanted to point to themselves and to their own glory. Now you judge who is true and who is false. In Matthew 23, the seven woes to the Pharisees, woes, woe you scribes and Pharisees, Seven times. We read in Matthew 23, verse 4, For they, the teachers of the law, they, as opposed to him, they preach, 
but they do not practice. They do all their deeds to be seen by other people, for they make their castles wide and the fringes of their robe long. And they love the place of honor at feasts, and they love to sit at the best seat in the synagogue, and they love to be recognized and greeted in the marketplaces, and they love being called teachers by others. Jesus says here, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in that person, he's referring to himself, there is no falsehood. I speak from my Father to glorify my Father. He says in verse 28, Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me. And you know where I'm from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. And because of this, they were seeking to arrest him. Jesus was beyond the box in where he was from and where his teaching was from. Would you have believed in him? So why did people believe in him with all these cross currents of like the people they trusted, you know, so opposed to Jesus? It it finally says in in our passage today that the people believe because of incredible miracles he continually performed. Look at verse 30. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Verse 31, yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more miracles than this man? And their answer was, no. No one will ever do more miracles than this man. This man is the Messiah. Jesus pointed to the truth of his Messiahship. By doing the greatest miracles ever in history. I'm talking about before or since. Hey, look, let's don't try to put ourselves in Jerusalem for a moment. Let's put ourselves here kind of in in Main Street. Somebody came and the Messiah wasn't here yet and, and healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, made the lame walk, cured leprosy, stilled the ocean, multiplied loaves and fishes, had power over the devil, uncontested, and raised the dead. Would you really ask him with derision, where are you from? Or what school did you go to? I don't think so. Now, if you know Jesus through faith in who he is and what he has done in his life, his death, and his resurrection, You may have said with the crowd that day, when the Christ appears, will he do more miracles than this man has done? That's what the Messiah does. It's one of the ways you know it's him. There's a great story I'll close with about the former pastor of the Moody Bible Church in Chicago. Really famous pastor like in America. His name was Harry Ironside. 
And one day, Harry Ironside was preaching, just like I'm preaching now, and it was quiet, except for me, um, just like it is now. And, and a really psychotically deranged person, man, burst through the back doors and, and started coming down the aisle toward the pastor saying, and he had a robe on and sandals, the whole get up, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. You must repent. And so, you know, the deacons, they were on it. So about a third of the way down, the deacons had, had taken him by both shoulders. They were turning him and forcing him. They were about to escort him up the aisle. And Harry Iron said, said, no, let him come on up. Everybody was in shock. And so they walked with him. And they slowly, silently came up the aisle. And the man came up on the platform and was standing right next to Harry Ironside, who had three words to say. He said, Show us your hands. When he lifted his hands, something was missing. He was immediately known not to be Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus Christ didn't have nail holes in his hands yet. In John chapter 7, in the time of, of this confrontation, but he had done so many amazing miracles that the, most of the people in this crowd had either seen one or more themselves or knew people who had seen them and they had certainly heard lots of details about this Number of miracles, and honestly, we don't know the number because we're told that so much more than these did he do, and these were just recorded so you could believe that Jesus is the Christ. There's hundreds more miracles that were happening, perhaps. And many believed because of it. You know, we also have seen and believed a miracle. And we can look kind of from the hindsight back into the life of Jesus of Nazareth. And we kind of know where this goes. But it's called resurrection. And we also see the difference between Jesus and any other teacher, any other religious authority, in that he was raised from the dead. And we hear the early church over and over proclaiming Jesus on the basis of the resurrection. And we believe that God raised him from the dead. And if that is true, to quote the people in this passage, could we expect a Messiah who could do more than that? You see, he's not only beyond the box for the Pharisees, he's beyond the grave. And he lives. And he gives life to all who open their hearts and their minds and listen in order to respond with their lives. And we have believed who know him. And we have been brought to life. Our old life is dead. 
because of the resurrection, we have new life in Jesus. That is our miracle. And that we only come through the miracle-working Messiah. So I, I say let's praise Him for who He is and for what He's done. The Jesus we need is beyond the box. Let's pray. Lord, we just marvel at this text and, and all that comes out of it and all that's being said here and we acknowledge that You are the Christ. Thank You that You not only came from the Father, You not only, as our prophet, gave us the Word of God, but as our priest offered Yourself on Calvary for us in our place because of the wrath of God against sin. And You, as our King, Raised from the dead on the third day. If you've never put your trust in what Christ has done for you or received Him into your life and you'd like to, pray with me. Lord, I can't do this on my own. Religion's just not going to be enough. And now I see it. So I want to turn from everything I've called religion and everything that I've called Christianity. And I want to put my trust, Jesus, in You and what You have done for me. And thank You that even now, As I am receiving you into my life, even now you have forgiven me on the basis of your finished work on the cross. Even now your Holy Spirit is in my life. Even now I belong to you. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help me to live freshly as your disciple in this new life that you've given. Lord, there are many of us who need a refreshment. We find ourselves as those who judge people for lots of reasons. And we wonder maybe if we would have judged you for the same reasons we judge other people. But you've been so merciful to us. You've shown us the reality of who you are as the one and only, the Son, the Messiah. And so Jesus, would you turn us, turn us back to the amazing reality of your glory and give us a heart of gratitude and love that beats for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name.